If you're wondering if I watched the Lifetime movie about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, uh, you better fucking believe I did. Because I always watch the Lifetime original movie treatment of anyone and anything I'm just like socially conditioned to. And you know what? Look, maybe I ought to do a show about this, but Lifetime movies, formulaic and campy though they may be at times, are part of the made-for-TV movie genre that has largely been the only film genre dominated by women. Not just in terms of what's on screen, like in terms of the stories they tell and the people who get cast, but off screen and behind the camera in terms of who's writing the scripts and who's working on the set and who's directing. So I don't really like to hate too hard on them and I will pretty much watch any Lifetime movie that's on TV ever. And there are a lot of them. So the Harry and Meghan take, while it must have been turned around pretty quickly, certainly had its moments. Like, first of all, who did they cast as Princess Diana? Because she was a dead ringer, and I mean, it was, like, kind of eerie. But anyway, I'm not here to review it, and I'm only fessing up to watching it because there's this scene where Meghan meets the Queen, and maybe this kind of thing happened in real life, or maybe it's just a good fictional arc here. But in the movie, the Queen shows her a portrait of Queen Sophia Charlotte, who some believe was the first biracial Queen of England and really the first person of African ancestry to have like married into the monarchy and I was like whoa 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 now wait a goddamn minute I've seriously never heard of this before and then I remember that history especially in public schools in the west has been completely whitewashed and of course I never learned about this in school because it's not so much that the history of marginalized or minority groups is always outright denied it's just that it never gets mentioned at all which is almost worse to me because when I was in middle school if someone had brought up say the potentially first black queen of England with the intention of denying that she ever existed, I would have researched the shit out of that and been like, I'm gonna find out all the information there is to know about this and then I'm gonna tell everybody in school and start some kind of moral uprising in my history class. And I mean, there's a kid like that in every school, right? I mean, God, let's hope so. But anyway, so as ever, my first instinct was to Google this and I did and now we're here. So Queen Sophia Charlotte, known as Charlotte of Mecklenburg Strelitz, was actually born on May 19th, so the day of Harry and Meghan's wedding, which is very cool. But she was born in 1744. So this story, her story, takes place quite a ways back in the monarchy timeline. Not from anybody in England, because England is hella older than that. But to us, that seems like a long time back, because America didn't even exist yet. But anyway, so Charlotte was born in a German region of the Holy Roman Empire. And while her father was a duke, and therefore she did have what you would call a decent upbringing, it wasn't necessarily one uh, that you would expect for a young woman who would ultimately one day become queen. It was more or less average until one of her brothers became duke, at which point she did start to learn a little bit about what it meant to live a semi-royal public life as a princess, and perhaps one day it could be more. So meanwhile, in England, King George II died, and his son, King George III, aged 22, became king. The new, young, hip King George did not have a wife, and his family was like, shit, mate 
you need a woman if you're going to do this. Uh, but you're busy. We get it. So don't worry. We're going to find you one. Now, of course, arranged marriages weren't exactly uncommon, no matter where you were in the social hierarchy, but they were probably even more familiar to those in royal families who were, and I guess probably still are, really concerned with preserving their bloodline. But in terms of what they were looking for in a queen, and she would become queen consort, that is, queen because she married a ruling king and not that she became queen because she succeeded her father who had been king, as was the case with Queen Elizabeth II, who is Britain's current and longest reigning monarch. George III's family wanted him to have a respectable wife with some royal blood, but they were also specifically looking at princesses in other regions, uh, more specifically princesses who were young, had no experience or very little experience in court, and could therefore then be groomed to their way of life. And perhaps most important of all, didn't have enough education nor natural inclination toward desiring any power or political involvement for themselves. They basically wanted a woman who didn't even know what she didn't know and would more or less be content to be something of a figurehead, support her husband, and have a heckin' number of babies. So Princess Charlotte of Mecklenburg Strelitz seemed to fit that description to a T, and thus she was brought to England after her brother signed the marriage contract. After an arduous journey, she met King George and married him six hours later. Oh, and she didn't speak any English. I mean, geez, what MTV show is this? Like, married at first sight, Georgian edition? Now, given that her life was the ultimate immersion learning experience at that point, she did pick up English pretty quickly, but she always spoke with sort of a heavy German accent, which didn't curry favor with the British royals, who were probably looking for reasons to turn up their nose at her anyway. In particular, George's mum, Princess Augusta, who had like no compassion for Charlotte in those early years as she faced a fairly steep learning curve, trying to adjust to her new way of life and all of the rules of court and what it meant to be the wife of a king. Oh, and uh, she was also basically pregnant for her whole life once she and George got married. They had like 15 children, literally. Now, a few of them died in infancy and childhood, uh, overwhelmingly of smallpox, it seems, but that still left them with like 13. And she was quite literally either always pregnant or in the first few weeks postpartum and then like about to get pregnant again. Now, when she was out and about, Charlotte seemed to prefer a quiet and fairly simple life. And she and her husband actually have this in common. And in their early years together, the pair were often criticized by other members of the royal family because they would like to take strolls through town and not take any servants with them. And she also spent a good deal of time decorating their various residences and apparently had quite an eye for interior design. She was also a serious patron of the arts and supported many great musicians and artists of the era, including Bach and Mozart, with whom she actually maintained friendships and Mozart dedicated his opus number three to her. She actually had a reputation of being quite sweet uh, to everybody, and especially the people who served her or her children in some way. So like her ladies' maids and governesses were loyal and cared very deeply for her and she for them. And she would often write them handwritten notes of thanks and would readily show her gratitude for their company. And considering the dozen or so children that were about, and the fact that she was always pregnant and very far from her family, uh, it actually isn't that surprising that she may have found some solace 
interests in these friendships. You could even call them friendships, particularly since these women in service were probably also young and far from their homes and their families, and maybe a little starved for kindness themselves. But she did have some upper-class friends, too. She was actually quite close to Marie Antoinette, who was the Queen of France at the time, even though she was a decade older. However, what's interesting is that they never actually met in person, and they would just exchange letters in which they discussed their mutual great appreciation for the arts. Now, when Marie Antoinette was executed, this was actually personally quite a shock for Charlotte and was very difficult for her. So, at first, Charlotte may have appeared to be unaware or at least indifferent to her husband's politics, but as time went by, she learned more than English and court traditions and needlepoint and music. She was never exactly overt in her influence, but she certainly spoke with George about what was happening within and beyond the palace, and he didn't immediately discount her input, particularly where German politics were concerned. Of course, there is a point in this story at which it becomes more focal to what became of King George, when his, quote, madness began to set in. Now, it was something that his closest confidant knew of in the beginning, but kept from his wife and the people of England. It was only once it became very serious that it could no longer be contained, and then therefore Charlotte and the rest of the world started to become aware of it. She feared for him, and also kind of for herself, during these bouts of mental illness. She wanted to go with him to where he was being kept in seclusion, but she was not allowed to do so. She and the children would visit, but it was very traumatic for pretty much everybody involved, because the king would receive them and, upon seeing them, would sort of take them in his arms and then not let them go. Now, the question of whether or not King George would be able to continue to rule had everybody scrutinizing Charlotte very intently. Did she expect to ascend to the throne? So the Regency Bill of 1765 meant that should a king become unable to perform his duties, his wife would become Queen Regent. Believing that his illness would not be permanent, no one in the royal family told Charlotte about this bill, and there were actually several unsuccessful attempts to challenge it. Once Charlotte did learn of it, she began to suspect that the Prince of Wales and the doctor treating George were planning to have him declared insane so that the prince could become king and totally bypass the whole regency thing. But they, in turn, suspected that Charlotte, meanwhile, had been planning with some other doctors to have the king declared sane so that he could make it very clear that she would be appointed regent if he were to go mad again, at which point she would then have him declared insane so that she could become ruler. I mean, like, Jesus, talk about family drama. So George returned and was reinstated, but remained quite emotionally vulnerable. And there was this constant worry that he was going to become unstable again. And at that point, it really became up to Charlotte to keep him on an even keel. And this was an enormously difficult task. It was very stressful for her. And so throughout the next couple of years, she really became more or less a constant caregiver and ultimately did become his guardian. And it really was something that as his condition became more relentless and did ultimately become permanent, Charlotte actually became very depressed herself and her entire personality changed. So in their later life, after he was placed under her guardianship per the Regency Bill, she saw him as little as possible. And though they remained married and living in the palace together, she really just avoided him and avoided the stress that came along with being his caregiver. She remained a loyal supporter of all of her patronages and became something of an amateur botanist and also was very devoted and involved in her children's lives as they grew up, especially her daughters. Uh, and she did eventually recognize
reconcile with the Prince of Wales about all that drama that went down when George first became ill. But as she sort of went into her old age, having grown very weary and somewhat of a disposition that I guess people felt like she was progressively more difficult to be around, the public actually was less and less compassionate toward her. I mean, overall, she has a very good legacy sort of in the long game, like long term, but her later years were not particularly kind or easy. And George, it seemed, really did care for her even through his periods of illness, which did become sort of a permanent disability, if not something that's still somewhat unexplained even now. But when Charlotte died in 1818, he wasn't actually able to comprehend that she had died. And then he died about a year later. So what has endured of Charlotte's story and has come up again now in the context of Meghan Markle's marriage into the royal family is that many historians believe that Charlotte was of Portuguese African ancestry and that many portraits painted of her and many portrayals of her in film were kind of whitewashed and that there are a few portraits of her that seem to depict her without the romanticism equivalent of retouching. So historians and artists have shown that in these portraits her African heritage has not been denied by the obscuring of her facial features or bone structure that would imply that she was biracial. And so those who have criticized this interpretation say that the ancestral links would go back like 15 generations, but that doesn't necessarily mean that her identity was like not one of that of someone who is biracial. Now, meanwhile, the modern monarchy has never taken an official stance either way, but really that means that they've also never outright denied any claim that Charlotte may have made to her own ancestry and they've never actually tried to say that she wasn't biracial. And at the very least, I hope that if we continue to get fictionalized portrayals of King George and Queen Charlotte, that perhaps they will reconsider casting her not just as white, but also not British. Because I'm thinking about, like, in the film, The Madness of King George, which is a very famous film that tells the story, Queen Charlotte is played by Helen Mirren, for Christ's sake. And I mean, even if they didn't want to wade into the conversation about Charlotte's biracial identity, it is still inaccurate to portray her as being natively British because she was German. Mm -hmm. 